Today on Stick to Football, a major bowl preview for you guys. The college football playoffs kick off this weekend. We're also going to update you on everything you might have missed over Christmas break. And oh boy, a treat. The band is back together. Me, Mello, and Connor all kicking it old school on the phone line here. Yeah, love sitting down talking with you guys. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I'm guessing this is a Friday edition since I'm here, but very happy to be here. Oh, it's the best. We don't have to shower. We don't have to shave. No haircuts, although it sounds like Mello is looking pretty dapper over there. But, I was ready yeah. to go today. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm ready to go. I'm just not ready to be on camera. So it's been a cool little break for us, but we are excited to get back on YouTube after the holiday break. Yeah, after the break, we will be. And I, I do want to tell you guys, we have some events come up. Tailgate Tour is a officially over with the college football season ending the NFL season ends this weekend but we still have some events if you are in the area where we'll be and you want to come out and meet us there will be a potential uh, last minute meetup in Kansas City on January 4th we're waiting to hear uh, or see what happens with the Chiefs and the playoff scheduling if they're the number three seed they would play on Saturday so there would be no meetup uh outside of a tailgate if they're the number two seed somehow then there will be a meetup so Pay attention to Twitter. We'll let you know what happens there. Then January 20th and 22nd, that entire week, we will be in Mobile, Alabama for the 2020 Reese's Senior Bowl. January 20th, that's Monday, and the 22nd, Wednesday at 7.30 at Draft Picks Tap Room on Dolphin Street in Mobile. We will be taking over the bar those two nights, doing our Stick to Football show from there, and uh, probably bartending. Uh, There's definitely going to be free drinks for anyone who comes out. A guaranteed good time. Just ask Richie Bradshaw, if you don't believe me. And then February, (laughs) ask somebody that was with Richie Bradshaw. (laughs) Right, okay. Because Richie Bradshaw has no idea what happened. No memory. Our uh, little, not little, he's enormous. Our guy that travels with this big country last year decided to go drink for drink with Mellow and I in Mobile. He ended up throwing up in a, I don't even know what you call it, on the curb in Mobile somewhere. So don't don't try that, but a good time will be had. So many stories happen in Mobile that we can't really go into. So you really just have to be there to experience the senior It might be, it's not the biggest show or meetup we do, but it might be the best in terms of how authentic it is. I mean, Matt was behind the bar just serving drinks last year. They kind of let stick to football, do whatever the hell they want over there. Yeah, it's a good time. We'll have the suite. Again, we'll be getting coaches in for interviews, so the shows that week will be legendary as well. And then February 1st, they're giving the three of us idiots credentials to the Super Bowl, and we are going to be in Miami, which is also a terrible idea, but we will be having an event at 1 p.m. February 1st in Miami, Florida, not Miami, Oklahoma, if you're from Joplin. It'll be a great time. More details will be coming out about that as we get closer. Okay, that's our calendar. We need to just set up a calendar. We need like a we actually need our own website where we can just post these things. Okay, but the news that we need to get to, as has been somewhat expected here as of late, Jacob Eason, the quarterback from Washington, officially declares for the NFL draft. Guys, this is a fourth year player who you'll remember was at Georgia, was the starter, got hurt. Jake Fromm took his job. He sat out last year at Washington due to transfer rules, started this year. And really started hot this year, guys, before once they got into some better competition in the Pac-12, his play dipped off a little. But I, I know Jacob Eason's defenders will tell you he wasn't working with a lot at the receiver position. I, I, I tweeted this on Thursday afternoon, though, guys. I believe he'll be a top 50 pick with a chance to be a first rounder. I have him right now on my big board at 44 overall. I don't know if he's going to stay there, but I agree with you. I think he has a top 50 pick. You look at quarterback, 
he, I mean, he's probably the number four, number five quarterback in this class right now with uh, maybe a senior bowl invite coming his way. There are a couple spots open. He's a red shirt junior. I hope that we get to see him in Mobile. Uh, but it is exciting that we know now for sure uh, that we do have to start watching more tape on this guy because he's not going back to Washington. He feels like the Drew Locke of this class, a guy that has some round one traits. He'll get some round one buzz. He might fall to early round two, that kind of thing. Although you never know, interviews can change everything with Jacob Beeson. I wouldn't be shocked to see him going round one, but kind of something you alluded to earlier, Matt, is that his play has been all over the place. I mean, he played very poorly, I thought, against Oregon State. He had some really, really bright moments against a good Utah and a good Oregon team. So when you look at it with Eason, it's just that some of the tape is great. Some of the tape is very underwhelming. And a lot of teams will just have to go back to traits with him. But I agree there, Mello. I think he'll be somewhere in the top 50. Closer in that 35 to 50 range, though, for me. And I don't know if you guys remember when we talked to Isaac Nada last year, we were talking about the different quarterbacks that he's played with. Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, Justin Fields. And one thing he told us, or maybe it was Miko Hardman, one of the two, but they told us that Jacob Eason has the best traits of any of those guys. He's six foot six. he's 230. He has an incredibly strong arm. So I think the traits will be intriguing. I, I asked around on Thursday. We didn't have a lot of time between his announcement and recording the show. Asked around to try to get a feel. Is he senior bowl eligible? No one's entirely sure. So we'll have to get our our buddy Jim Nagy to clear that up in the the coming days. But Jacob Eason, definitely with he and Jordan Love now officially in this class, there's some more intrigue with the seniors of Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. This quarterback class is really starting to round out nicely. Another player who declared, a guy who I thought had a disappointing 2019 season, was Stanford Samuels III, a corner from Florida State. He's 6'2", about 185 pounds. He's had eight interceptions in college, but four of those came in 2018. You could look at Florida State and say, well, everyone was bad there this year except for Cam Akers. Maybe it was just the coaching, the situation there with Willie Taggart, but I felt like Samuel's play dropped off a little bit. I'm excited to dig in on his on on the film and see how much of this was on him, how much of it was on the scheme, the situations he was put in. I have him as a day three player, fellas. I don't know what, if either of you have him ranked yet, but I'm intrigued by his talent, and I'm excited because this just adds another layer to a really, really deep corner class. I liked his sophomore tape quite a bit, and you can't you can't look at this guy without seeing the size six foot two at corner. That's going to be very exciting for a lot of teams to just see how big he is. The ball skills were there as a sophomore. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of Florida State games this year. Uh, I'm going to have to dive into his tape specifically. But having the ball skills that he has shown before, eight interceptions in three years is good production. And then the size, uh, I see why he's coming out. That situation at Florida State is probably not great. And we get another great corner in an already great corner class. This feels like a, a situation where a former five-star in Samuels is just trying to get out of a bad situation and not let that stock dip any further because nobody knows. You know, Florida State, they're probably going to have to start to build again. That naturally happens, and I know a lot of you know Florida State fans probably don't want to hear that, but when you have a new coach, it tends to happen. I, I think, like you said, Mello, the length is something that will jump out to people. I'm curious to see how he runs. He looks like a pretty good athlete for his size. And once again, there was sophomore tape there. I know he even played a little bit as a freshman as well. He wasn't a starter necessarily, but he played in all their games. So there's enough tape out on this guy where he could be a late kind of riser in a very, very good and talented corner class where he let's be real he's on the outside looking in at the top five corners right now it's as simple as that 
Yeah, without a doubt. Now, a couple guys who decided to go back to school, and I was surprised by this because you don't, we don't see players from Ohio State go back very often, but this is huge for them. Center Josh Myers and All-American guard Wyatt Davis are going back to school for 2020. It's awesome to get that news now before the college football playoff kicks off. It's one less thing for this staff to worry about internally. You know, they're trying to recruit these sophomores and juniors to come back at this point. You want to make sure you can keep Sean Wade. You want to try to keep as many of your offensive linemen together as you can. Now, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers going back, that's great news for Justin Fields and whatever four or five star they're handing the ball to at running back next year because they're going to lose J.K. Dobbins. They're going to lose uh, two wide receivers. There's going to be some turnover on this offense, so keeping the O-line together, I think that's great news for Ohio State. Yeah, they already have two seniors on that offensive line, too, that will be gone. So returning three offensive linemen to your group is a lot better than having one. I mean, uh, Thayer Munford. For it is the left tackle there. He's a junior. I guess he could come out. I don't have him on my board, but having those three guys come back is going to be huge for this offense next year. Uh, everybody's given the offense a lot of love. They've been exceptional. But if you're losing your linemen, that's going to be tough to replace. So very good that you get a center and maybe one of the best guards in the nation coming back in Wyatt Davis. Maybe I'm looking too far into this, but I think this speaks very, very highly of both Justin Fields and Ryan Day for these guys to be coming back because of the environment, the culture, the program that Ryan Day has maintained, and then also Justin Fields, that they believe in their young quarterback to not only hopefully win a national title for them this year, but also next year and maybe even a Heisman Trophy for Fields. So it's huge for the Buckeyes that these guys are coming back, and it's just more great things for this program that's been rolling. Yeah, and Wyatt Davis would have been my top-graded guard. I know that maybe not doesn't mean a lot to people listening to this, but it's, for a redshirt sophomore, again, an All-American season, he would have been my top-ranked guy at that position. Now, I want to transition here, guys, to something that it's something we all deal with to a, a certain level. I mean, when you have a lot of Twitter followers, you have to deal with people who follow you just because they don't like you. And if you've ever searched your name on Twitter, if you're in the media or uh, an NFL coach or player, it's not a good not a good place to be. Thank God I have a very common name, so I really can't Twitter search myself and get a lot of tweets. But Adam Gase is not a very common name, and it looks like our guy, Googly Eyes, might have some burners set up. Connor, I know that I actually think the burner replied to you. I believe I saw in their tweets that they had replied to you before, but there's an account out there at least one that I know of, that will reply to any negative Adam Gase comments with this basically template of record-setting offenses in Denver and Miami. Look how good Tannehill was when he wasn't hurt. Look how good uh, Devontae <laughs> Parker was when he wasn't hurt. And that it would be about 10 seconds before he would have a job if, the, if and when the Jets fire him. I mean, it's bizarre i'm not gonna sit here and claim that this is adam gaze because i don't think it is him but it might be someone very close to him the name of the account that a lot of jets fans were suspecting is wyatt v18 and if you break that down guys in quite simple terms wyatt is the name of gaze's son oh v v is his his wife's uh maiden name in vit as in joe vit because that's his daughter, Adam Gase, married. And then 18 is Peyton Manning's number. So it might be a really good long con by someone. It might not be, judging by how those tweets are. That's a lot of work for I don't know what kind of payoff. It seems like it could be someone close to Gase. Maybe it's no one at all. And it's interesting because these, like you said, Matt, these accounts pop up time and time again. I've seen other accounts on there that have no followers and don't follow anyone that have tweeted some 
very, very strange things at me or, or any Jets, uh, I guess, Jets media member. I don't consider myself one, but I do get lumped into that group a lot. It's These burner accounts in pro sports, it's fascinating. I guess you'd have to trace the IP address, and we're not going to be doing that on here, but there is definitely legs to this entire thing. I hope that it is true, but Adam Gase doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would have a lot of social media interactions, but he does seem like the kind of guy that would be pissed off and look for all the negative attention, Googling his name, replying to everything. So I don't know. I kind of hope it is really Adam Gase, just because... I want to see this guy get fired, and if this helps, let it happen. Because I want to see Sam Darnold play well. He was my QB1 in that class. I really like him. And for Connor, I really like you too. I want to see your Jets (laughs) just be successful. I don't think that Adam Gase is the guy that's going to make it happen. And I'll say this. Do you remember the Brian Colangelo stuff? It was his wife. I wonder if this is Adam Gase's wife. I mean, I'm sure Jed's Twitter is all over this. I'm sure Reddit is just an investigative resource at this point, searching, you know, to figure out where, when these tweets were sent, if the Jets were in practice. And it's amazing the level so, of, that goes in. Oh, they've done it already. Okay. They have. <laughs> <laughs> they did this like days ago. Basically, I still don't believe it's Adam Gase, but they checked every time code of every tweet oh, yeah, and none of, none of them were during a practice period or a game period or a media session period it was like all during potential downtime i think that's the most damning evidence because if you're a jets right. fan you're going to be tweeting during the game and if you have adam gase's back so heavily through stops at miami and denver you would think you're probably going to be tweeting a little bit during the games that you're watching you would, what a bizarre bizarre year yeah it really has been and one last nugget before we get into the college football bowl game previews the nfl's black monday will be happening sunday night or monday morning some some teams try to get the jump on it. We've already seen the Panthers and Redskins do that. I will actually be out early next week uh, taking my son to Austin to visit the University of Texas, but you guys will be covering it. I did want to say, uh, bef- since I won't be here, I want to get my shot in early on this. I don't know who all will be fired. It, it feels like Jason Garrett will be gone. Pat Shermer's probably gone. It, it, there, there's probably not going to be the seven or eight openings like we expected a couple weeks ago, but I just want to say this. Matt Rule's phone is about to blow up. And I wrote about this for Scouting Notebook that comes out Friday morning. I think Matt Rule is going to be the hottest name on the coaching market because of this. And you guys can agree or disagree. Urban Meyer, probably not jumping back in. I know his name's been linked to teams, but I'm skeptical of that. And I still think that Lincoln Riley doesn't have eyes for the NFL yet. My man's making $6.5 million a year in Norman, Oklahoma. He doesn't need the NFL. Matt Rule proved last year when he interviewed with the Jets, he is interested in the league. I think Matt Rule, because of what he's done at Baylor, what he did before Baylor, he has NFL coaching experience with the New York Giants. I think Matt Rule is the name this year that is, I think actually think it's going to happen. I think he will become an NFL head coach next week. I agree with you. And when you look at some of these other openings, I don't know who's going to get fired, and I hate to predict that because it's a terrible situation, but I think the Jason Garrett job is as good as sealed. I mean, after Sunday, I really think that he'll be the first coach who is fired, and I really hope that it's Lincoln Riley that takes his place. Please, (laughs) God, let it be Lincoln Riley for two reasons. One, yeah, I'm a Texas fan. Second reason, I want to see what he can do. Uh, at the NFL level with his offense, with these route combinations and what he's doing. I want to see if it would work at the next level. I think it probably will, and I really hope he gets the chance. 
I think my biggest question with Lincoln Riley is how many times does the Dallas Cowboys job open up in your lifetime? Not many. Or your your peak, I should say. I think Lincoln's at his peak. I think the Dallas job will be open. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if Dallas goes that route and tries to at least have a conversation with him. I think they will. I think they will either speak to him or people around him to gauge what that, where that interest level is at. And maybe, like Matt said, you know, he's going to stay cozy at Oklahoma for a little bit longer. Or maybe money talks like it pulled John Gruden out of the Monday Night Football booth. That was a pretty insane contract, but you never know. And as for Matt Rule, I mean, obviously the guy should have got the Jets job last year. They didn't cave to his his coaching staff ask, which was a mistake. And I do think he'll get a job this year. I think he might even have a choice of a job. And I think if you're a New York Giants fan that listens to this podcast, Matt Rule, Ron Rivera, those are two of the guys that should be at the top of your list if they do move on from Pat Shermer. Yeah, and next week we'll jump back in. We'll break down some of the you know top candidates as far as head coaches and general managers go. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast or reading me for very long, you know that that's something I do every year is put out a list, and I've already done a head coaching one. But we'll jump into some of these front office guys. I'll tell you that the two dudes in Seattle, Fitterer and, and Kirchner, uh, they are near the top of everyone's list this go around. Um, they both almost got jobs last year, so yeah, we'll close see. for Fitterer. Yeah, very. I mean, he was your guy's runner up. We'll see how many GM jobs actually open up, but uh, if some do, uh, then then we'll we'll jump in and, and talk about those guys. All right, let's take a break. We come back. The biggest weekend in college football is here. We're going to break down not just the college football playoffs, but the biggest bowl games that you guys need to know. It is the most wonderful time of the year, not just because it is the holiday season, but because it is bowl season. One of my favorite moves back in the day when I didn't, this wasn't my job, I would always like save up my sick days and I would inevitably get sick the week in between Christmas and New Year's every year just so I could do nothing but watch bowl games. It's a little different when it is your job, but I'm excited, guys, for some of the big games that are happening this weekend and then all next week as well um, with the New Year's Day games. But let's start right here. Oklahoma State against Texas A&M. The biggest news for me, and we're going to talk about uh, our players to watch and then give you a prediction. I'll take Oklahoma State in this one, guys. And the biggest news for me is that defensive lineman Justin Matabuk is not playing in this game. He has already declared for the draft. I believe he'll be a day two player. We haven't talked a lot about the interior defensive line group in this year's class because we're really waiting to see which underclassmen came out. I have a late round two grade on him. He's six foot three. 305 pounds, very, very good first step. I would have loved to see him go against this Oklahoma State offensive line. We're not going to get a chance to see that. And then obviously the one player that we will be watching is a redshirt sophomore running back, Chuba Hubbard, who has had a historic season for the Cowboys. And we're all waiting to see if he's going to come out. Yeah, and to see if he can get 2,000 yards on the season, too. Uh, but the big storyline is, is he going to come out? I, I'm glad to see that he is playing in the bowl game. I want to see him get those 2,000 yards. A lot of other good players to watch in this game, though. Uh, A&M's got uh, Kendrick Rogers at receiver. I think that he's a guy that might come out. He's a junior. He could make some noise. He's very athletic. And their quarterback, Kellen Mond, I don't think he's made a decision yet. I want to see what he can do against Oklahoma State, the old Big 12 rival. He has a live arm. I don't know if it's going to play in the NFL, but it's still a guy to watch, if not for this year, then next year. And obviously, Chuba Hubbard and also senior bowl corner A.J. Green from Oklahoma State is a big corner that I really like. I want to see what he can do specifically matched up against Kendrick Rogers. This is a sneaky good game. I'm actually surprised that Oklahoma State 
is almost a touchdown underdog in this game. I really like what they can do. I'm with you. I think they win this game. I think it's great that Chuba Hubbard's playing. His decision is what everyone's going to be watching for after the game, of course, because he can enter this very talented group of running backs and have his his name thrown in as one of the top two or three guys. It's going to be interesting to see how him, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, it's a very, very long list. Travis Etienne, it goes on and on and on. But him throwing his name into the hat would make things very interesting. And I like Oklahoma State to win this game. I like Chuba Hubbard a lot, but Connor, with the guys that you just mentioned at running back, this is one of the deepest running back classes we've had in a very long time. Next year? DeAndre Swift. (laughs) Not the same story. Next year, uh, I do not have very many running backs. So I know that each situation is different, and Chuba might want to go ahead and get the money. The family might need it. But next year, I think that he could be running back one in this class with a lot of hype around him already. Come back, have another great year at Oklahoma State. We could be looking at him as maybe a first round, maybe the running back one in next year's class. That's a very good point, Melo. Next year's running back class, I have no one ranked so far. Uh, No one I'm really even looking at. So uh, I took Oklahoma State. Who do you guys have in the game? Oklahoma State. Yeah, Oklahoma State in this one. That one seems easy. USC at Iowa. Two teams that could not be more unalike than these two, and I'm excited to see what we get. An offensive tackle in Austin Jackson, who you guys know I've been talking about for a couple months. I really like him as a late one, early two type player who can move up a lot like we saw Andre Dillard do last year. I like Austin Jackson if he declares, but he better pack a lunch and eat his Wheaties because he's going to have to deal with A.J. Epinesa. And I think for Epinesa, on the other side of this, we are going to get a chance to see him against a very good NFL caliber left tackle for a guy who started the year kind of slowly this year. You know, we didn't see the huge stats from him until late in the year. I want to see with Epinesa, a guy who I'm a little surprised is playing in this game, but he is. I want to see what he can get done against an NFL left tackle and vice versa for Austin Jackson. Yeah, when you talk about Epinesa, I actually I am low on him. I have him probably falling to the low, latter half of the first round. Uh, he just looks so limited athletically, but not quite as strong as you want him to be. So I do want to see what he can do. I think both of these guys need a big game to help their draft stock. Uh, I know a bowl game doesn't really uh, carry a lot of weight in regards to their draft. You're going to watch every game. But having two marquee guys that are going to be pro prospects go against each other, that's huge. I, I have Iowa winning this game. Sorry, I, I have Iowa winning too. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of Epinesa, but there's a lot of talent on the USC team as well. On that defensive line, they could be special. Uh, Tyler Vaughn at receiver is another guy who's been playing very well opposite of Michael Pittman. He's a name to watch. I think that Iowa probably just has... Too much going for them with Stanley. They'll probably get the running game going. And then in the trenches with Werfs and and Jackson there at Iowa as well. I think Iowa has too much for USC. I'm with you there. I'm taking Iowa in this game. And the conversation about Epinesa is interesting because I haven't moved him out of the top 15 this year. But every time I do watch and he's and when he's quiet, I get some Solomon Thomas tweener vibes where I'm like, yeah, you know, is he going to play too. end at the next level? Is he he does his best work on the interior? Is it going to work? I think he has a good mindset. I think he has a lot of traits. But if something's going to scare you, it's definitely a question of, you know, he's 280 pounds right now. He's a young guy. He's probably only going to get bigger. Where does he play? Where does he thrive? Most importantly, so. But I, I'll say this. I got to watch a lot of Tristan Wirfs while we've had some downtime because this is a good time to just catch up on film. There is not there is news coming in, but not an overwhelming amount before the playoffs. 
And Worf's ability in the run game, guys, the way he gets out of his stance, his ability to the second level, I need to watch more of him in pass pro, and I think length is going to be an interesting thing for him. But I love his mindset in the run game. He's a great player. He's definitely warrants this top 15 hype that he's been getting. And once again, I think Iowa, USC has a lot of talent, and Pittman's a guy that has some gigantic performances, but I think Iowa's going to win this football game. Yeah, and God, I could spend 20 minutes talking about Iowa uh, just because they have Easily. so many prospects. Uh, I'll say this on Epinesa because I, I'm his defender on this show. I haven't ranked at 11. My comp for him is Eric Armstead, and it took Eric Armstead a little while to get comfortable in the NFL and find a role, but then this year he blew up, and you could say some of that's because he plays with Buckner and Bosa, and that probably helps, but I could see the same for Epinesa where it takes him a little bit to get comfortable he would be a great 3-4 defensive end. He's going to be tough as shit to run at if he's playing in that role. But how many teams are running a true three-man front? A lot anymore. It's becoming less common. So I think with Epinesa, you guys are on the money. That scheme fit is going to be very, very important. And I, I do like Tristan Wirfs. I still have him ranked um, <clears throat> right in the middle of round one. I think the biggest question for me is movement skills. And, and as Connor alluded to, I think with Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thomas at Georgia, they both look short to me. And I haven't stood next to them. Um, I, we've seen Andrew Thomas play in person, but I, I'm excited to for the combine to get here so we can actually get an eye on these dudes because they do just both look a little short to me. All right, Air Force against Washington State. Not a lot going on in this one in terms of draft prospects, but... The last game in college for Anthony Gordon. And that's really the highlight here for me. I am picking Washington State to win this one. Mike Leach just got that nice contract extension. And I think with Anthony Gordon, we're looking at a dude who has been a one-year starter in college, but he's thrown 45 touchdowns this year to 16 interceptions, over 5,000 yards. And we're going to get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl. Now, he is not the most physically impressive dude you're ever going to lay your eyes on at the quarterback position, but he's accurate, and he's done a good job executing in this offense. I want to see how he looks one more time before we get eyes on him in Mobile, but in a quarterback class where we talk so much about the top five or six guys, we haven't talked really at all about day three players we like, and that's why I have Anthony Gordon. If you want to talk about Nate Stanley and Bryce Perkins and Steven Montez, out of this group of the last tier of quarterbacks, I like Anthony Gordon the best. Yeah, and I'm actually, I couldn't be more opposite than you right now. Oh. I, I'm not a fan of Anthony Gordon from what I've seen so far. I think this is another system guy that comes in and throws for a lot of yards, throws with a lot of accuracy because of the offense. And I'm taking Air Force in this game, oh, too. Shit. This is a team that's won Let's 10, go. <laughs> 10 games this year. And you look at their schedule and you say, while well, they play in the fucking Mountain West where no quarterbacks play. Except for they shut out Jordan Love already this year, beating that team thirty-one to seven. Might not mean that much, but I think that this Air Force team is going to be motivated to win this game. Mike Leach has already called out this locker room and said that they're not tough. They're not here to play. I don't know how you're going to get them fired up to play in the fucking Cheez It Bowl if you can't get them fired up to play in the Pac-12. So I think that Washington State comes out and they get killed by Air Force. Oh, I love this. We need more disagreements from you guys. That's when our our show is at its absolute best. Yeah. And, and I'm Air Force is favored um, by two and a half points in this game. I am going to roll with Air Force. I think I would even take them up to six points in this game. I, I think they're just playing a different brand of football than Washington State right now. And I think it's going to be a bit of a shock for Washington State when this Air Force team comes out. 
and, and can do a lot of different things against them. I just think they're a tougher football team. I think they'll be able to run the football against them. And as for Anthony Gordon, I know a lot of people like to say, hey, you know, him and Gardner Minshew had a really good quarterback competition that was very close. I think Gordon's done some nice things this year. But And, hey, prove me wrong again, Washington State quarterback. I'm going to have Anthony Gordon towards the end of day three as it stands right now. Yeah, I, I'm going to have him at day three as well. I don't want to be like, fuck, Mello. I'm not like it's, tugging the funny? guy up. <laughs> Voice tone can change everything. Like, Matt was like, I'm going to stand on the hill for AJ Panessa. I have him at 11. I have him at 15. It's like, so. Yeah, right. I have, and I have him at 14, right? <laughs> there you go. So it's amazing how different we yeah. can sound and, and try to create. And this is what draft rooms are, are often alike, honestly. I want to really are us in a room. I mean, we'll throw Jared Brown in and, and, you know, maybe like get Dalton Miller, a couple other guys who we we talk to a lot. I want to get in a room with a camera and just talk about prospects. Maybe uh, we I do mean, this in Mobile in the suite. Especially if we get practice canceled again and we don't have shit else to do. Right? Hopefully oh, nobody God, steals our dude, idea. Don't even <laughs> say that. Yeah, TM on this, by the way. TM, maybe this is what we do uh, Thursday or something. All right, Memphis against Penn State. Uh, Memphis has no chance in this game. I'm sorry they don't. <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be bad. Uh, it's going to be ugly. And what I'm watching is the one player on Penn State who I'm not sure what he's going to do is K.J. Hamler. So what small guy we talked about earlier in the year, I compared him to Marquise uh, Brown. He's a little bit small, but he's a very good player. He's explosive after the catch, incredibly fast. And I think in this offense where they had some turnover at quarterback, they, it took a while for, for Sean Clifford to get comfortable. I think K.J. Hamler is better than his college production. It makes me wonder, will he jump? Now, they just had some turnover offensive coordinator, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I can't rem- remember the name off the top of my head of who they just brought in, but I know that there were a lot of really positive reports, including from our guy Adam Kramer, about that move. I, I'm anxious to see what K.J. Hamler does because I do think that it, in a very deep receiver class, I would slot him into round two. And again, very, very, very deep receiver class. That's not a slight on him. He's a fantastic player. Yeah, I like him a lot, too. And, I mean, athletically, I, he's one of the most gifted receivers in college football right now. But they have him listed at five foot nine, 176 pounds, which means he's 5'8", 160. I don't know how much that's going to play in the NFL, but it seems like teams are getting away with guys like Hollywood Brown, like a Tyreek Hill, these undersized guys that can get off the line of scrimmage with their quickness. I do want to see what he does. He says that he's made up his mind already, that he knows the decision. He's just not speaking on it. And I would think if you're playing in the bowl game, then you're probably coming back to Penn State. Sean Clifford, the quarterback, he's good friends with them. I I think they have some rapport there. There's absolutely no way Memphis can win this game now. But guys that I am watching, one would be Hamler. The other, I just want to see Micah Parsons all over the field. And Memphis has a very good freshman running back in Kenny Gainwell that not a lot of people are talking about. He catches the ball so well out of the backfield. A lot of rushing yards this year. Only a redshirt freshman. Uh, I'll be watching him to see what he can do against a real good Penn State defense. This Memphis offense is tremendous. But this bowl game kind of reminds me of when UCF played LSU last year in the Fiesta Bowl. And and LSU was down a lot of players in that game. And it was really the beginning of unlocking the real Joe Burrow. I just think Penn State is going to come out and really, really, you know, run this game. I think Memphis can score plenty of points, just like UCF scored 32 in that game last year. But I could see Penn State going over 40 in this one. They got a lot of talented players. Uh, I'm trying to think, is Yitor Grossmatos, he's going to play in this game, even though he declared for the draft. 
So that's not good news for Memphis at all because this Penn State team has some pretty good guys in that front seven. And if you want to see one of the you know, one of the more intriguing pass rushers of this draft, assuming he goes through his word and plays, Gross Matos is a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, this year's Brian Burns. That's what I've been calling him. I like that, yeah. All right, Notre Dame against Iowa State. I am I guess I'm gonna pick Notre Dame. I Notre Dame, as you guys know, if you listen to this show a lot of the last two years, is the one team that just foils me. It's when I'm high on Notre Dame, they suck. When I'm low on Notre Dame, they win ten games. I can't figure them out. We just can't vibe, but I'm gonna pick Notre Dame in this one. I think Matt Campbell is a fantastic coach, but I don't know that he has the talent to match up against Notre Dame. The key here for me is the Notre Dame pass rushers, what they have in Julian Oquara, who who is a top 40 player for me, a senior, six foot four, 235 pounds, has not yet been announced as a senior bowl guy, which is a little confusing to me because I think he could benefit from that. Uh, he is someone who you'll get a chance to see him shine in this game. He has I mean, the total package. He's a good athlete who has some raw technique that I think needs ironed out. Um, and then obviously on the other side, uh, they have Khalid Kareem, who's kind of the opposite of that. He is committed to the Senior Bowl. He's not that athletic, but he has great technique at 6'4", 270 pounds. So those two Notre Dame pass rushers are the guys I'll kind of be keying in on. Yeah, and you say that you don't know what to do with Notre Dame. That's me with Iowa State, because I really thought this team was going to be good this year. And Matt Campbell, I love what he's done, but they're still just... They can't get over the hump. They've dropped too many games against teams that they should have beat. They're Right now, they're at 7-5. I'm going to take Notre Dame in this game, and this is another sneaky game with a lot of really good draft prospects. One that I really like is receiver Deshante Jones out of Iowa State. You've probably not heard his name, but if you've watched some Iowa State football this year, he's done very good. Uh, he's an athlete, kind of like that K.J. Hamler type guy. Uh, you have to be creative, finding him ways to get the ball, but I like him a lot. And then the Iowa State defense is actually pretty loaded, too, uh, with guys like Ray Lima uh, on the interior. I think that he's very good. Greg Ellsworth, uh, who plays their star position, will be a safety. A lot of good players on this team to watch. Chase Claypool at receiver for Notre Dame. Ton of talent. I, I I just I'm gonna watch this game. I hope Iowa State wins, but I think Notre Dame will. I think so too. I think Notre Dame is you know, for all the disappointment with them, even though they had two losses this year, a very Notre Dame season. They have a lot of talent on this team. A lot of top rated recruits that did develop while they were there. And I think for Iowa State, Matt Campbell's the kind of guy, and this is no disrespect to the Iowa State program. But he's the guy that can, he gets the most out of everything. He even goes above and beyond to get more. So it's it's impressive what he's done. They have a really talented freshman running back there in Hall who had a pretty nice season considering the offensive line in front of him. He did everything he could. I just think Notre Dame, this isn't even a big line, guys. They're only favored by three and a half points. So anything more than a field goal, Notre Dame covers. I do like them in this game. And I'm very curious to watch the future of this pro- both programs here. That I'm more interested in the future of these programs than this game because at some point, if you're Notre Dame, Brian Kelly's got to win a big game, a really, really big game. And Matt Campbell's a guy where... Better job offers will be on the table, but he he's loyal to Iowa State and has done a really good job at a great program with great fans there. All right, fellas, let's take a break. And when we come back, we are looking at the college football playoff. College football playoffs kick off at 3 p.m. Central Time. 
on the 28th. I, my brain just broke. The 28th, it's early, it feels like, for the college football playoff this year. But we are starting here, Oklahoma against LSU, go Tigers. They have never lost the game we were at. We won't be at this one, so I don't know why I told you that. But I am taking LSU, and I oh, don't think it'll be close, fellas. I think LSU wins by double digits, and last time I said that, they beat the shit out of Georgia. So here's the matchup that I'm most excited for. Spoiler alert, it's probably the one these other two gentlemen are going to talk about. C.D. Lamb against Derek Stingley Jr. The biggest question mark when you watch C.D. Lamb is how many routes does this guy run and how fast is he? Can he separate against good NFL caliber corners because all season long we didn't see him play those types of guys and I yes I'm disrespecting my own school the Texas Longhorns here. Derek Stingley Jr. is only a true freshman. He is still the best corner in college football. This matchup is going to be fantastic. I do think we'll see Stingley shadow C.D. Lamb, leaving Christian Fulton and the rest of this incredibly talented secondary to worry about Charleston Rambo. We're going to see a lot of Kerry Vincent and Grant Delpit and Patrick Queen shadowing Jalen Hurts to take away the 1,000-yard run game of the quarterback here. I think you put Stingley on an island against Lamb and say, let's see these two go at it. And I think Stingley wins that battle. I'm going to go with Lamb here. I, I think that he wins that battle. And either way, that's going to be a great matchup. You're right. That's the one to watch. It's going to be Lamb versus whichever corner. If they move Stingley with him and he takes either side, or if they even put Fulton on him. Those are two great corners that they have. So C.D. Lamb is going to be tested. He's also going to be targeted early. Because if you're Oklahoma, you have to get the ball in his hands to win this game. So I think that's the matchup. LSU is going to win this game easily because... Oklahoma can't stop their offense. You have Justin Jefferson. You have Jamar Chase. Uh, Edwards Hilaire, I think, is questionable as of right now. It doesn't even matter. You have the, uh, I think the Heisman Trophy winner is still there, yep. if, if um, memory serves me correct. LSU's just going to roll over these guys. I mean, Joe Burrow's already dropping jumpers in the pregame stuff. He's already <laughs> kicked their ass. Now he gets to do it on the football field, too. I'm not being foolish and picking against LSU again. <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, yeah, LSU is going to win this game. Uh, they probably win by a lot. But if they're not going to win this game, Oklahoma needs a big play from a guy like Kenneth Murray. Uh, it's got to be a strip sack, an interception that he could take back, or he's just a menace uh, on Every level of play of defense, whether that's against the run sideline to sideline, whether that's dropping back into coverage. Once again, Oklahoma really has no business making this a game. I know it's Lincoln Riley. I love CeeDee Lamb as much as anyone. Jalen Hurts has been in big moments before, and you know he's going to be prepared and motivated to win this game. But, I mean, Joe Burrow's been so good. They've won every award, guys. Didn't the offensive line just win the Joe Moore they Award? Did. yep. You have the Heisman Trophy winner award. You have freaking, I don't think he deserved it, but Grant Delpit got the Thorpe Award. Jamar Chase. Didn't Jamar Chase get the blicking off? Like yep, it's, he did. They, they cleaned house. This is a loaded football team that should not lose in the semifinal. They should not. And, guys, I, I'm spending a little bit more time on this game. I don't know that Oklahoma can get to Joe Burrow. We were at the the SEC Championship game. Georgia's defensive line is very good. And they were able to create some pressure, but Burrow was able to evade and and get out of the pocket with his feet. And a huge credit to the LSU offensive line. Like Connor said, they won the Joe Moore Award for the best collective offensive line in college football. Oklahoma can't rush the quarterback. 
So I don't know what their expectation is here. I I really, truly don't. It would be tough to be on the Oklahoma staff this week because your game plan is basically let's hope Jalen Hurts just goes off because I don't think Kennedy Brooks can run the ball against LSU. And the Tigers are one of these teams that they actually have the speed to shut down Jalen Hurts. They can spy him with Patrick Queen. They can spy him with Grant Delpit. They can spy him with Jacoby Stevens. Guess what? They can spy him with Kerry Vincent Jr. They have like eight guys that they can spy Jalen Hurts with and make someone else beat them, plus the corners to handle man coverage against CeeDee Lamb. So... I just I don't know how Oklahoma has a chance in this game. Well, Vegas says they don't because the spread is thirteen and a half Holy points. Shit. Okay, and honestly, That's I would probably take the points. I think that LSU is going to come out and make a statement, uh, much like they did in the SEC championship game. That Georgia defense, one of the best defenses in the nation, and we saw what LSU was able to do to them. There are a lot of question marks on this Oklahoma defense. I, I think it's going to be a bloodbath here. And sorry to all of our fans who are. Also, Oklahoma fans, Mason Whitlock, I just wouldn't watch this game if I were <laughs> right. you. Just get the bleach report gonna out. It's going to be ugly. LSU wins big. All right, let's move I, on. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Connor. No, I just think it'll take a C.D. Lamb. Basically, he'll have to have one of the greatest performances we've ever seen from a wide receiver in the playoff for them to win. Oh, yeah. I'm talking like four, 12 catches, three touchdowns, 220 yards. Yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. And I don't think he's capable of that against this defense. All right, moving on, the game that is actually going to be close, I think at least, Clemson against Ohio State. I did some film study of the Ohio State D-line this week, guys, and they're they're really good. Spoiler alert, this is great scouting. They're really, really good. The Clemson offensive line got better throughout the season. I could talk about the matchups there of how are you going to stop Chase Young, but I really believe the the best matchup in this game is one that we're probably not going to see a lot because the TV is not going to show it, but it's Jeff Okuda against what we T Higgins or against Whoever. Justin Ross <laughs> or Sean Wade against Justin Ross or Damon Arnett against T Higgins. The Clemson receivers against the Ohio State corners. Ohio State has three corners ranked in my top 50 right now. It's unreal. T. Higgins is in my top 12. Justin Ross would probably be in the top 20, but he's not draft eligible yet. So I think it's that matchup of Trevor Lawrence and his passing attack. And you can throw Travis Etienne in there if you want against this Ohio State defense. At every level, these teams match up so well on paper that I think this is going to be a fantastic game. I'm going to pick Clemson, and I was torn about this all day long. Because Ohio State has been unstoppable this year, but Clemson has been disrespected by us, by ESPN, (laughs) by CBS, by anyone who covers college football. Clemson has been disrespected, and I think they have gotten hot at the right time. I agree with you, and you're looking at this game. This is wide receiver you against D-back you. Uh, It's going to be a great matchup. All three of those guys... uh, can match up well with their counterpart. I don't know how the hell you block Chase Young uh, in this game. And Young, sophomore, he was a big-time recruit. Jackson Carmen is going to be the guy that has to go up against him. (laughs) I'm guessing that John Simpson at guard is going to have to help out or that you're going to chip with a tight end or something. We've seen Michigan and Wisconsin triple-team Chase Young. Triple-team And that was the only way to slow him down. I don't know if you can do it with two guys. He's just too much. But I do agree with you, Matt, that Clemson is just 
peaking right now. Now, I don't think they gave a shit at all about their ACC schedule or anything that was happening. I think now they probably have it turned on, and this is going to be a very good game. I'm probably most excited about this game. Even when LSU plays one of these teams, I think this is one of the best matchups that we're going to get in college football when you look at what these two teams have. Uh, Justin Fields against Trevor Lawrence. I mean, who who would have thought we got that matchup here with right. these guys playing against each other already? Isaiah Simmons is going to have to try to stop Justin Fields. Uh, it's a great matchup. This is going to be one of the best games of the year. I am going to take Clemson because I think that they're just more ready for it. Trevor Lawrence has already played in the playoff. He's played in big-time games. So have the receivers. So have the running backs. I, I just think Clemson is going to be too much, even though – Ohio State fans, don't hate me because I love your team. I love the talent that's I do there. Too. I think that this is a team that if they beat Clemson, they could win the national championship. It wouldn't surprise me one bit, but I am going to take Clemson in this game. Guys, you know what my hot take of this game is? I just said I'm not going to get foolish and get myself in trouble. <laughs> I, I think the winner of this game wins the national title. The winner, I really do. The winner of this game I will be rooting for for the national title. What? I, yeah, I love both of these teams a lot. <laughs> Me too. We are basi- I, yeah. Stick to football is basically an LSU podcast. I know, I but love that LSU. doesn't mean I'm rooting for them. <laughs> Wow. Well, the LS, some LSU fans, too, told me, keep picking against us because we always win when you do. And I'm like, sure. Okay, here oh, you, go. Well, there you uh, go. So, Although I picked them this weekend, so we'll see. But I think when you look at this game, uh, number one, I like Clemson in this game. And I think it will come down to the last second of the – I think it will be very, very close. This will be a great game. I love that, you know, guys that were 1A and 1B in their recruiting classes as quarterbacks and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are are facing off against each other here. You know, Mello, I know your guy, Isaiah Simmons, everybody gets to see. It's like nobody's really gotten to see him this year because nobody really cares about the ACC that much until the playoff now with Clemson. So I want to see what he can do because I think he's somebody that can stop those outside runs to Dobbins or Fields scrambling, or he can run down the field and cover. He does so many different things, and I want to see Justin Fields in a big game right now. He's played in a couple already this year. I want to see Chase Young in the spotlight. Everybody does, but I want to see him in this spotlight and take over. I think this is going to be a great game. I think this is the kind of game where whatever receiver doesn't draw Okuda, whether it's Higgins or Ross, the middle of the field will be there for some big plays for them. And I like Clemson in a really, really close shootout style of football. One thing that I am anxious to see, and I, I, we did see other teams try this and not have a ton of success, but if Chase Young has a weakness, guys, it's that he can be too over-aggressive in the run game, especially against RPOs, against option plays. I don't, I don't know if you it's popped for you guys when doing your film study of him or not that like it has for me, but I'm, I want to see if Clemson runs at him. You mentioned that Michigan and Wisconsin did everything they could to go away from him, triple-teamed him, ran away, rolled the pockets. I wonder if Clemson runs the football at him and tries to use that upfield momentum against him a little bit because they have the fastest running back in, in the 2020 draft class, at least, in Travis Etienne. They have a good running quarterback in, in Trevor Lawrence. The rub with that is you expose Trevor Lawrence to getting hit by Chase Young, and maybe you don't want to do that. But I, I will be trying to watch that side of this to see to, where you attack Chase Young to see if they can slow him down. So... All in on Clemson on on the Stick to Football podcast. All in on LSU. Let us know your picks. Tweet them at us. It's the Tigers uh, podcast this week. Tweet us your picks at Stick to Football. There we go. We need Ed Orgeron right now. Let's take a break. We come back. Your draft on draft questions. 
It is draft on draft time. Let's start here. Shane Carnahan wants to know what's more important to draft stock bowl game performances or senior bowl performance. Shane, I'm going to annoy the shit out of you, buddy. It matters with the player. It, it's so, I think, individualized. You know, if you can look at a guy like uh, CeeDee Lamb, I think bowl performance is going to be huge because like we were just saying, you're going to see best versus best and you'll get a chance to answer some questions about him as a player in that situation. If you're talking about Jalen Hurts, I think senior bowl performance is bigger because I want to see how he learns throughout the week, how he works with receivers he's not comfortable with, how teammates interact with him. So I, I know with you get tired of hearing this scouting is all about context because you got to put every player in that little bubble and evaluate them as an individual and so I I don't for me I like the senior bowl better I I do think a good bowl performance can stick with evaluators longer though yeah I I think nine times out of ten the senior bowl is probably going to be the more important performance but there have been times where you see a guy go off in the bowl game it's like holy shit what was he doing all year and then you go back and look at him and he actually had a damn good year so sometimes they do need that bowl performance on that national stage finally when you don't have 100 other games going on on a Saturday but for me seeing these guys play for that week and practice with an NFL team at the senior bowl is where you can learn a lot about a guy. Yeah, I think you get to see them next to other really talented players. Like when you watch guys throw at the Senior Bowl, you know, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, really, they stand out uh, amongst the crowd. It's notably different. Even yeah. one of the reasons I was a little, I was definitely low on Daniel Jones. I didn't think he threw well at the Senior Bowl. I don't know what Dave Gettleman saw when he told everyone, oh, I watched one practice and that was the guy. Daniel Jones has had, a, you know, he's turned the ball over, but he's had a pretty good rookie season overall. He's, you know, uh, overachieved in what I thought he would do. But I think that's an interesting aspect of the Senior Bowl is the guys throwing together one-on-ones for a lot of players. But back to the bowl game or the playoff conversation, I think a lot of people didn't value what Deshaun Watson did uh, enough against Alabama. I mean, the guy threw... The guy threw for fucking 420 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks against Alabama. Like, I just... I think that's one of the times where it's like... You know what? Maybe Deshaun Watson should have went top three that year or top two because I'll tell you right now, you know, if Tua was playing in this and and people were torn between him and Burrow, how do you think that would affect their draft stock? People would want the guy that's playing bigger in the spotlight like that. So it can go a couple different ways. And I'll, I'll tell you an example from last year. Josh Allen from Kentucky played in the bowl game. He had three sacks against Penn State. Didn't participate in the Senior Bowl. And I have talked to people who will swear to you that he dropped in the draft because he didn't play in the Senior Bowl. It was like, okay, well, I believe we it. wanted to see him against Andre Dillard and Titus Howard. And who cares what he did against Penn State? He had three fucking sacks against Penn State. He had 17 sacks last year. And he fell in the draft because he didn't go to the Senior I, Bowl. Yeah, and I was still skeptical. And he's been great this year. I remember but... one of the first Senior Bowls that I got to go to. And it wasn't Jim Nagy running the show at that time. There was a lot of talk about the guys that didn't show up to play, that got the invite but didn't show up at the Senior Bowl, and teams were pissed about it, and the director at the time was pissed about it. Oh, Phil Savage. Right? Like I've never seen a guy like so angry and just like, this guy didn't show up, this guy didn't show up, this guy didn't show up. We don't know why they're not hurt. So I do think that the Senior Bowl is a great opportunity to get a good look for the NFL teams. I, I don't think we've ever seen a guy hurt their stock And it's not just that, oh, we've had Jim Nagy on the show. The Senior Bowl is going to be great because we're there. 
it's just it's the time to get in front of all the combine and all the underclassmen that are coming out. If you can get to the senior bowl, there's almost no excuse. Like if Joe Burrow doesn't go, I get it. He's playing in the college football playoff. He's probably going to be in the national championship. He's probably going to be the number one pick. Every other senior should try to be at the senior bowl. Yep, I agree. All right, second question from Connor Leahy. Which player or pick has the highest chance of causing a big ripple effect? You know, we've said for a while that the draft starts at three because Cincinnati's going to take Joe Burrow. They're locked into the number one overall pick. Now, the number two overall pick is still in play. Right now, Washington would have that pick, and they would draft Chase Young. And let me tell you something. If Detroit has a number two pick, they will draft Chase Young. If the New York Giants have the number two pick, they will draft Chase Young. So it really feels like the draft will start start at three and as of right now the Detroit Lions owning that pick I think that they have a huge chance we talk a lot about where the draft pivots each year this year it will be at the third pick but imagine right now guys that Burrow is drafted then Chase Young is drafted and the Detroit Lions are on the clock and we have no fucking clue what they'll do because they don't need a quarterback they really don't need Jerry Judy I mean do you take a corner Jeff Okuda at number three overall that'd be the earliest a corner's been drafted since like Deion Sanders, that's a joke. But in a really, really long time, a corner to be drafted that early, do you take Derek Brown at Derek three? Derek Brown's the one that's right? interesting. I mean, Because Quinn and Williams went three last exactly. year. Exactly, and they need another edge rusher, even though they have Trey Flowers. Does A.J. Epinesa's name get mentioned here? I mean, no. So I think Detroit is the pivot this year. Um, even So like if the Giants pick third, it would be like, okay, well, they're probably going to take Jerry Judy. You know, so if Miami picks third, they're probably going to take Tua. But I think the Detroit Lions, right, and they're such a boring team, but I think they are the pivot this year. Yeah, and I think a, a pick that could cause a huge ripple effect is if the Dolphins get nervous and panic and trade up. Uh, and if Washington bluffs and says, you know, we got some other teams that Chargers are calling us, they want two because they want to get Tua. Uh, I think that we could see the Dolphins move up and then Tua goes number two overall. The Washington Redskins maybe say, you know what, we don't really need a pass rusher. We know that, that Chase Young is special. But we're going to move off this pick because Miami's going oh, to give us two first round. He's from there. They have to draft it. But I could see Miami well, getting nervous, so. trading up, and screwing this whole thing up. I mean, yeah, I would take Chase Young. I love the guy. But I think that that can make a huge ripple. If Chase Young doesn't go two, uh, I think people start to panic and like, this is not the way that we thought the draft was going to go. Do we need to move up to get our guy? Where's he going to fall now? So I think that two spot is still a big chance. Like Joe Burrow, you go ahead, Cincinnati Bengals fans, get your tattoos. The guy's going number <laughs> one overall. Number two, it should be Chase Young. But in years past, I mean, you look at the Carson Wentz year, Teams will move up to take a quarterback, and if they have the capital like the Dolphins do, I wouldn't want to sit back and say, man, I hope that this guy falls to us. I I hope that the Giants don't trade out with a team like the Chargers, the Panthers, or whoever else needs a quarterback because teams will, will be calling, and nobody has draft capital like the Dolphins. I think the two guys that could really flip this draft upside down are Tua and Justin Herbert because there's going to be so much smoke and rumors around them from... It's probably starting very soon until their name comes off the board. It's going to be as simple as that. And I think certain teams are going to try to play certain teams. The quarterback run obviously starts at number one with Burrow. And then you're going to have an old Western stare down of who's going to take the roll the dice on Tua. Who's going to roll the dice on Herbert? When are they going to do it? If you don't get one of those guys, are you happy with Jacob Eason, Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts? Because I'm not. I'm not at all. I, if I need a quarterback 
And I'm sitting there, and, and Tua and, and Burrow are gone. I don't even feel good about Herbert, but I know a lot of teams will feel good about him. I think those two guys are going to cause such a calamity with the first eight to ten teams picking in this draft with trade rumors. I mean, we've heard it all before. I, th- if I had to say ripple effect, th- that's really it right there. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating. One thing, I'll throw this nugget in at the end of the podcast. I, I know everyone loves when I do this. I have heard the Dolphins have done so much work on Justin Herbert. So Even in 2018. Yeah, I mean, going back to last year. So keep an eye on them. AP Jacobs, here's the fun one. If you got to announce a draft pick, would you just say the pick or would you go in on your rival team? I actually have zero desire to ever announce a draft pick. Uh, here's my thing with the announcing draft picks because they let a lot of people do this. It's not your fucking moment. Don't steal it from these other guys <laughs> that are going into the NFL. This is one of my Thank biggest you. pet no, that, peeves. You're very right. Like, I like get this. the fuck off the stage. Nobody wants to hear you talk. Some dude just worked his ass off for his entire life I agree. to go into I agree. the NFL. We don't care if it's Pat McAfee. Love your show. Get the fuck off the stage, okay? Other people are going to the NFL. It's their time to shine. Say the name. Move on. I've never agreed with you more. I, I think it's hard to disagree. I mean, I would go up there. I, I wouldn't say anything about any other teams. I think I would just read it, and right? that would be it. Like, I wanna... I, or I would say something. Not if I mean, assuming you know what the pick is before you go up there. I think I'd try to add a little more juice about the player, unless it was like a long. Right, snapper. add some like tidbits about the player that we didn't know because you're probably going to find out a little bit in advance. You're usually like announcing a fourth round pick or something like that. Get a little background on the player and then make it about them. Yeah, I like it. All right, Andrew Magnuson says, typically getting back with your ex is a dumb idea. Or where we're going with this. That being said, which exes would both benefit from a reunion? I just want to make so many jokes right now about you and your exes, Matt. None, not, of, none of mine is a good reunion. None. <laughs> no. No one wants uh, to see that. <laughs> Ron Rivera and Dave Gettleman. That's a good one. I was just saying Matt Rule and the New York Giants. Yeah, there you go. I think that would be That's beneficial really for one. both sides. Yeah. How about this one? Uh, John Dorsey and Mike McCarthy. Oh, they were together in Green yes. Bay. That one makes that <laughs> one works for me. Freddie Kitchens. Well, we could play this not game for a long time. Major Applewhite and the University of Texas. Eh, I think I'm good there. Yeah, actually. I don't know. We need help on offense, no, but I hate you. Major. So, which is such a turn for me. Yeah, but I wow, really don't reunions. like him anymore. Man, I'm into this question. I know. I'm going to be really thinking about this one for the all night. It seems like Des Bryant really wants to be back with the Cowboys. I don't know if you saw any of that. Oh, yeah. I, I think that would be a good fit because they just need another receiver probably. I mean, can you imagine him as like the number three in that on that roster? Oh, yeah. I don't know if he can run anymore. I mean, probably not. But Marshawn Lynch is coming back, and I don't know if he can run either, but it's happening. Oh, so we're about to find out. Good yeah. Lord. It's yeah. crazy. Man. Can I say Julio Jones and Kyle Shanahan? I would love to see that one. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, that, That'd be amazing. That's the one I want. <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Steve How Spagnuolo about... and his 2007 New York Giants defense, Mello. Oh, man. How about the team that trades for Odell in the offseason also signs Eli Manning? <laughs> I think I'm Odell just would just change just his kidding, mind. Right? <laughs> yeah. Actually, he's already just tweeting at teams. Man, Baker Mayfield. Making him miss Eli Manning. <laughs> right. Baker and Lincoln Riley is a good one. That's a really good one. It wow. is a good one. Get him out of Oklahoma. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, all right. We could play this game all day. I'm going to be tweeting these all night. Last, yeah, send, a, send them to us. Oh, yes. This is a good one. Tweet us your uh, exes that you'd like to see get back together. Uh, I was going to say Mello and his secret girlfriend that he had, but. Oh, here he goes. Here I, you go, Mello. She was a nice girl. <laughs> I heard. I never met her. I heard you she met her. Nice. No, I no. never met her. He kept her a secret <laughs> for two months. <laughs> that was so good that you're like she was a nice girl. I never met her. <laughs> I heard good things. Yeah. Okay. Well, she won't talk to me anymore. <laughs> See reunion. All right. Last question. Joe DeMeo. Is there any head coaching candidates besides Lincoln Riley you think could bring Dallas to the next level? I don't think Dallas is that far off. Actually, I don't either. I think that you can almost bring in. Almost anyone other than Jason Garrett. We've let this guy coach there for so long. Even if it's a Ron Rivera, I think that he comes in and that locker room is changed and motivated. Or you could get a guy like Lincoln Riley who can scheme up with the, all the talent that they have there. I really think the Cowboys are going to be a very hot team next year with probably whoever their coach is. I'd want to go there. You'll get paid well. You have a guy there that knows how to draft in McClay, and you have a really good roster, and you have good job security. So, yep. I, I mean, listen, that's a great job. I, I think Matt Rule should get an interview there. I don't know if he will. I just don't. I'm not buying this Urban Meyer stuff for I'm any either. team. I'm not either. I think it's uh, let's drive up the cost at Fox, and I'll stay in the booth for a little bit longer, unless he gets like a John Gruden ten year deal. But even then, he, I mean, he's he probably going to coach for that five. Long. Yeah, say he'll be there for three and a half out of that. You, you know, I don't. I feel like the Cowboys are not the kind of team to go with an under the radar guy because I mean they're the Cowboys and they're flashy. But if you think about the moves that they've, I mean, Jimmy Johnson was a college coach that wasn't completely expected. Then Barry Switzer came out of nowhere. And then, you know, like Jason Garrett was a coordinator and he kind of moved his way up. Uh, So where I'm going with this, I don't know that he would be on the radar, but I think Mike McDaniel would be so good for them. He could keep Chris Richard as defensive coordinator. You have the front office structure in place with Will McClay and the Jones family. So Mike doesn't have to come in and build a complete team. To me, this would be a lot like Sean McVay going to the Rams, where he had a structure in place where he could just go coach the offense because that's what you needed. And I think Dallas is in a similar situation where you just need a guy to come in and fix this offense and Mike McDaniel, what he could do in the run game with that line with Ezekiel Elliott would be incredibly impressive. I know there's some skeletons in Mike's deep, deep past that are going to have to be vetted. Um, Everyone I've talked to, whether it's in San Francisco or from before, has said great things about him and, and his recovery. And I think he deserves a chance to be an NFL head coach. And the Cowboys job is so you know, glittery and and a big one, and you're going to want an Urban Meyer or a Lincoln Riley, but if they were making a football decision and not a marketing decision, I think Mike McDaniel would be a really good name there. Yeah, sometimes they don't always go with the football decision, though. Even guys like you know, Jimmy Johnson back in the day were big splash hires out of college. Bill Parcells was a pretty splash hire, so, you know. All right, that is our show. Mello and Connor will be doing the Monday show, Sans Me. It feels like I've taken a lot of time off this month, but the I flu mean, got me. Thinking it. The flu got me, and then now vacation got me. But I know you two will do great. I'm in, I'm 
excited for Mock Draft Monday between the two of you. I'm sure it will be fantastic. And Black uh, Monday. Black Monday as well. That'll be fun. You guys Ooh, have boy. a good time breaking that news to everybody that you have just been fired. So, And that's what we will be doing. We will be breaking the news <laughs> right. right here. I want on you guys Super to Football. be calling the families of coaches. <laughs> Show what we do this door. year? Instead of announcing who got fired, we say wishing them the best. Oh, yeah. From the Panthers, we're wishing Doug Marone the best, and then just move on down the list to keep it very, very positive. Right. Yeah, put a positive spin on it. Guess who gets uh, paid to do nothing now? Yeah. Congratulations on your two-year hiatus. <laughs> right? Your paid gap year, Doug Marone. Uh, you guys, you should have fun God. with it. It'll be a good show. I'll be back Wednesday as we break down more of the bowl game action from Ellen Connor. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you guys real soon. Mm-hmm.